Hello, welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We're a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who simply love Jesus and want to journey through the ups and downs of our faith together. We're so glad you're here. Currently, we're in our series called Psalms, a curated playlist. I want to make a little introduction to you guys. Um, I'm not preaching today. I have a nice rest, Sabbath rest. And uh, my friend Chris Cox, he's a friend of Echo Church. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in case you haven't met him yet. Chris is director of Back to Back Cincinnati. And it's one of the ministries that we support. If you go to our website, you can see the different missions, local and abroad, that we support at Echo Church. But beyond that, Chris used to be one of our teaching team ministers. And we got to hear him preach every month. And at this point, he just says, hey, let me know when you need a breather. And he's such a great friend. And I said, how about Memorial Weekend? I could use a little rest. So I've been thankful to have a rest this week. And Chris is going to bring our message. And also, here's a note, a little promo. This summer, we're going to actually have several Sundays where we have our local ministries take over the service. So stick around, and sometime in July, Back to Back Cincinnati is going to put on our whole service for us, and we'll keep you updated about that. Um, so thank you for being here this morning. Please welcome Chris. Fun to be back. It has been a while since I've seen your faces. I've gotten to stare at a camera a couple of times and uh, do a couple of the online messages for Echo and it's way different when you're standing in the vestibule of Stephen Kelly's house looking at a camera, knowing that they're listening to you in another room to see if it's good enough. Um, and then they'll like peek their head around like, no, don't say that. Let's do another take. But it's good to be back and to see people face to face and to start to see how emotions look from like the nose down. Because we've been trying to read eyes for a really long time to figure out whether or not we're as funny as we think we are or if people are engaged. So it's really great to see your whole face. I'm also excited to share some story with you because that's the way I like to teach the most. One of the stories that jumped into my mind when Kelly shared the theme of this uh, journey through Psalms, this curated playlist was to think back to all of the playlists that I used to find value in. I was in college when Napster became a thing. And I had a guy who lived across the hall from me that decided to present every student on our floor with as many CDs, remember those? As many CDs as possible with all of the songs that you want. I was blown away. I'm like whoa, I could go through any playlist that I want and just ask for all of the things that as a Bible college student, my mom would have never let me listen to growing up or have in our house. And I'm like, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And then if you went to a Bible college environment, you would know that they would have like these like chapel services where they would invite you to then come burn said CDs because in the name of Jesus, we can't listen to that stuff, right? Like so one guy's making all the music in the dorm the rest of the people at the dorms are like asking us to put it in a box in the hallway and like pray against it. Um, yeah, I was the guy on that floor that would walk past that box and be like, why would anyone throw out the Beastie Boys and grab it and then redeem it? I was all about redemption in college. And so I would look at the box and redeem anything that was lost in there. 
one of the phases that I went through, maybe you were around for, but it was circa 1990, and it was this artist by the name of MC Hammer. There was only one track that I ever listened to. I have no idea what anything else sounded like, but I had the track, You Can't Touch This. I don't know if you can relate. I don't know if you would even acknowledge that you did go through that phase. Because shortly thereafter, and I'm pretty sure the journey of MC Hammer led to, a year later, me going, oh yeah, Nirvana, never mind, I'm in. Right? Like, we had to, like, just move away from MC Hammer, and immediately I'm listening to this Nirvana track that then's leading to Pearl Jam, and I got Beastie Boys, Check Your Head. Like, that was, so that was me through high school going into this other world, Foo Fighters was at their first concert at Bogart's, Good Times. But I have this memory of being at a flea market in the summer of 1990 with my grandfather, and I'm preparing to go to church camp in Kentucky. And there's this table with all of this pop culture stuff on it. And there's like this MC Hammer section. Right next to it is the Bart Simpson section. And I'm looking at this thinking, this is perfect for church camp. And there's a hat. It looks much like the one that I have on my head. It's the only time I've ever worn another hat that looks like the one that I have on my head. And it said Hammer Time on the front. But instead of it being this blue, it was actually bright neon pink. We were leaving the 80s and entering into the 90s, and there was a little bit of the 80s that was still hanging on. And I had this hat, and it said, Hammer Time. And I look at it, I'm like, I have to have that. Right next to it was a t-shirt that said, Eat My Shorts, Man. If you were ever a Simpsons fan, I was like, and I have to have that. Because that's exactly how I want to look showing up to church camp. I want a t-shirt that says, Eat My Shorts, Man. And a hat that says hammer time. Because I need them to know what they're messing with at this Jesus-y thing. And so I got the hat because I looked at my grandpa. And I'm like, Grandpa, I need this hat. You love hats. And my grandpa did love hats. He liked putting pins on all of his hats. Like he would buy a pin everywhere he went. Like a little like lapel pin. And he would put it on his hat. And his hat was covered in these pins. And I would look at him and be like, Grandpa, you love hats. I love hats too. I think I should get this hat. And he's like, I mean, it says a hammer. He was also a carpenter. And so he's like, it says a hammer. He had no idea who MC Hammer was or that it wasn't that type of hammer. And he was like, I think, I agree. And I was like, and I think I need this shirt. And he was like, I am not taking you home from this flea market with a shirt that says, eat my shorts, man. There's no way that your parents are cool with this. No matter how much I tried to talk him into the shirt, he was a no. But the hat, He was a yes. And so from the summer of 1990, playing Can't Touch This by MC Hammer, I'm rolling into church camp with my backward-facing neon pink Hammer Time hat. It lasted a few months and then back to school, and I don't know what happened to that hat. Then, a couple of months ago, My family got the opportunity to take this super, like, social distance trip to a beach. We needed it. It's been a rough year at back-to-back Cincinnati. We've been through it with a lot of families here in this city. One of our, like, biggest donors to our ministry, he had actually given us his office space to be able to function in um, during the whole pandemic. 
I think he had noticed how exhausted I looked. And so he was like, hey, we have a spot on this beach in Florida. Here are some windows that no one has rented it out. I think you should just take your family and go. It like has like a little gated entry to the beach. No one will be there. You don't have to worry about any of the stuff. It'll just be like you and you can have a little bubble. I'm like, that sounds amazing. I'll take a bubble on the beach. That sounds really, really cool. And so we pack up and we head down and I get us to Florida. We drive it like straight, stay away from everyone on the way down, right? And you get there, we check in, we look in the condo, we realize there's some things that we need to fix. And the next morning I wake up and I realize I've packed just about everything for everyone else and forgot just about everything I need for myself. I don't have hair, just as an FYI. A beach, not really the friend to the bald guy. So I'm like, I didn't even bring a hat. I have no hat. I also brought like, it was winter and it was March, but it was like wintery here. And I get down there, I'm like, all I brought were my like winter, like slip on Tiva shoes. I have no sandals and I have nothing that's going to work on the beach. So I wake up in the morning and Finnegan wakes up with me and I'm like, hey. I got to go to a store because I don't have anything. Do you want to come with me? And Finn is all about going with me everywhere. Like from the moment that he could start using words, Finnegan has been a little bit different than the girls in our house. Like the girls love me. I know that. But I can wake up and go to work and they will not have an absolute meltdown if I didn't say goodbye. Like, they're, they're good. They're, like, self-sustainable in their identity to where they're like, cool, dad's gone. Peace. Love you. Bye. See you when you get home. Mom's still here. The world will function, right? Like, we will be able to eat, breathe, sleep, be clothed, and have adventures. If I wake up in the morning and go to work and Finn is still asleep, Sarah is going to have a terrible day. So I have to wake up, and even if he's still, like, napping or, like, just groggy, I'll have to go in and be like, hey, buddy, I'm leaving in 10 minutes. Do you want to come downstairs to spend time with me before I go to work? And immediately, like, he is brilliant in the morning. Like, he just pops up. He's like, yeah, pal. And we're downstairs. So on vacation, we're the first two to wake up. And I'm like, do you want to go with me? Yeah, I want to go with you. So here we are walking down this beach. He's on my shoulders. And... He's like, Daddy, what do we need to get there? What do we need to get? And I tell him the list, and we get into the store. So we get into the store. I'm looking at some sandals. Grab those real quick. Then I look at hats, hats that I would wear, hats that make sense for me. And then my little pal comes over, and he has two blue hats in his hand. And he holds them up, and he's like, Daddy, these are the hats. We have to get these. These are so cool. I'm like, what is cool about them? He's like, look, they're pal hats. They match, and pals wear them, and you're my pal, and we have to wear pal hats. And I'm looking at them like, it's not 1990, and I'm not like 11, and I don't know if this is going to work for me. And he puts one on and flips it to the back and pulls it down. I'm like, you're adorable. We're getting pals hats. And so as we go and we check out, we're getting the stuff in the bag. And he's like, no, daddy, no, we don't put the hats in the bag. We're wearing the hats out. And I'm like, okay, this is now it. From that moment on, we have spent every day 
waking up in the morning and looking for pals hats. Because if we're going to go get coffee, if we're running to the grocery store, if we are going to the beach, if we're going on an adventure, if we are going out to dinner, we are going to have our pals hats, even to the point where Finn will say, when we get in the car, his car seat, it doesn't work that way, so he'll turn it around and be like, Daddy, my hat's like this. And mine's still like this. Immediately, he's just like, Daddy, mine's like this. I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, uh, we're not matching. And I'm like, all right, pal. And I turn it around. He also only lets me call him pal. There are moments that I will walk into a room and just be like, hey, homie. And he's like, I'm not a homie. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm not a dude. Sometime because he climbs all over everything in the world, we call him a monkey. His sister will call him a dude monkey. She'll be like, hey, dude monkey. He's like, I'm not a monkey. I'm not a dude monkey. I'm like, what are you? And he's like, for you, I'm a pal. I started to look at Psalm 27. I tell you that story because I wonder. I wonder if sometime God would be willing to do exceedingly more for us. Even to the point of looking foolish walking down a beach with a hat turned around backward. If he knew that he was the desire of our heart just to be his pal. Because that moment with Finn for me, I would never have chosen the hat that I chose. I wouldn't walk around looking the way that I look. I wouldn't in a car have anyone. I'm pretty independent. No one in a car would ever be able to talk me into matching them in anything. Our back-to-back Cincinnati staff, we often have to wear, like, get matching T-shirts. Have you ever been in, a, like, a staff like that? They have, like, staff matching day. I always find a reason to forget my shirt, like, every time. Or, because I'm in charge now, I order mine in a different color. So, it's such a jerk thing, but it's awesome. Because I never want to match. I want to be unique. I want to be different. But there's something about when someone looks at you and just says, hey, this If you wear this, it helps me show you how much I want to be with you. How much more would a God respond to us when we were like, hey, pal, this is what pals do. That's the theme of Psalm 27 is that David is pulling on this thread that's throughout Scripture of this intimacy with God that can be labeled really simply as the thread of one thing. It's this idea that there's only one thing that really matters, that there's only one thing that we should desire, that we should long for. And there's this thread throughout Scripture that it gets pulled into over and over and over. And if you look at it, then you'll see in verse, in verse 4 specifically of, of Psalm 27 that that thread of the one thing gets pulled on. It's this pals thread, but we want to tie it to the idea of a petition. That's kind of the playlist of today is this, that God can be petitioned. And a petition is simply like a formal request of someone who's in, thor- in authority toward a cause. Now, there's a written petition, like the noun of a petition is like a document that many people sign making a formal request for something to be done toward a cause. 
But to petition someone is to make a formal request. It's to make a, hey pal, can we wear this? I am writing this down. This makes us one. And our petition today that I'm going to challenge you with is to petition God for the one thing that, desi- that we desire most. And in verse 4, if you look at Psalm 27, it says, One thing I have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This thread can be seen throughout Scripture as really a one thing that many who have come in contact with God desire that same element. It's this idea that I would dwell and seek in the presence of God. It started in the garden, right? The first story that we have in creation, it starts with this intimacy, this unbroken intimacy that we get to have with God in this humanity that is created And the illustration of what it would look like to be one with God is to walk through this garden and to experience creation face-to-face with the Creator. And be able to ask anything, talk about anything. And it illustrates a season of vulnerability. Right? That's why the nakedness in the garden is part of the story. It's not just to illustrate of us trying to imagine humans walking around with no clothes on. But it's to illustrate the vulnerability and the transparency that was welcomed before God. Right, That we can be welcomed before God vulnerably and transparently in this place that he's created for us to dwell with him. And we get to see his face without consequences that humans were dwelling in a garden with God and walking as if they would with their best friend. Having conversations about the creation. Having conversations about the creator. And we know that all that was broken, and then we entered into a version of this creation that left us longing to be back with the Creator. And you can see it throughout biblical history, that Jacob longs to be with God to the point that at his darkest moment, an angel of the Lord, one on behalf of God, would be sent to him as he's crossing a river, running from his brother, and he sees the Lord, which I like to imagine this Lord being Jesus, because God in human form is pretty much Jesus every time. Here's Jesus standing in the water going, hey, what do you want? And Jacob punches him in the face. And then they wrestle. And it says they wrestled all night. Because sometimes the desire of our heart is to fight. We got some stuff in there that just needs to come out. And the Lord is standing in front just going, all right, I mean, what's, what, do you, what do you need? And Jacob's like, to hit you. Because I really can't take it out on myself. And that's who I'm really upset with. I've stolen. I've cheated. I'm on the run. I'm separated from my brother. He's coming to kill me. Everything that I tried to do is not working out the way I wanted to do it. And they wrestle throughout the night. And Jacob then petitions God in the early morning. He's holding on tight. Jesus shows his power by just touching his hip, right? He's just like, like, 
I could have ended this anytime I wanted to. Bing! And he just like walks with a limp, right? Just goes off to the side. Jacob says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. He petitions him for something. He's like, blessing. I need to know I'm enough. I need to know I'm still part of this. I need to know that I'm something different. And in that moment, he gets a new name. He gets the name Israel. And it changes the trajectory of his life because he wouldn't let go. You are my desire. I'm going to hold on to you until you give me blessing. Moses petitions God to see his face in Exodus 33. It's one of my favorite parts in the story of God where Moses is up on a mountain. The nation of Israel is out of Egypt, so slaves have been free. They're getting the construct of what it looks like to be with God. He's come down and thrown down two tablets already of commandments and commandments because there's like the first Chick-fil-A cow that's been built and established. And we were looking at that and Moses is like, it doesn't work. I can't, we're not ready for Christian chicken yet. And there's this golden calf and he slams the things down and he goes back up the mountain and there's this debate between God and Moses around what we should do about humanity and about Jacob's namesake. What should we do about this? And even one point, God proposes to Moses, what if I just take out everybody else and just leave you and we start over? Like, what if it's just me and you and we just do this thing again? Moses is like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking for that. I'm actually asking you to help me help them. And I really think it's one of those things where God was testing Moses to say, if it would be easier for you to just start over, we can talk about that. But I think that would be going around the hard. But Moses, I'm pretty sure you're the kind of guy that wants to go through the hard. So tell me you want in. Like God's really asking for Moses' consent to go through the desert. And Moses is like, no, no, no. Ending all of this is not what I asked for. I want to know how you redeem all of this, God. Aren't you the God who redeems? Aren't you the God who took me as a murderer and showed me a burning bush and led me back in and helped? Aren't you this God? And God's like, yeah, I am that God, but who am I to you? Because do you want me to be the God of judgment right now? Are you going to petition me for judgment and you just want justice? Or do you want something more? And Moses' response in Exodus 33 is, I want something more. Show me your face. I want to see your glory. And in that context, God is like, I can't show you my face. My face has been hidden since the garden because my face represents holiness. And you're just not there yet. Like Jesus isn't standing between you and me right now. And if I can look at you through my son, then you can see my face. But I can't do that yet. So I'm going to pass by the mountain and my hand is going to cover your eyes. And you're going to see my back as I go by. And that's the imagery that we're given when God and Moses have a conversation about the one thing. You're not ready yet. What I love about Moses' story is that later when Jesus is transfigured and he's up on the, on, in this transfiguration on the mountain and they're praying together, the prophets that return to see Jesus are Moses and Elijah. Sometimes I think about what that heavenly conversation could have been like between God and Moses and go, hey, remember that time on the mountain where you said, can I see your face? Moses was like, yeah, and you like covered my eyes and then you like made this little trick where your back passed by, bro, you're hairy. Like it's, that was weird, but I loved it. Thanks. And God's like, I wanna sh- I- I'm going to come through on that now. And Moses comes down, and he looks Jesus in the eyes. And it's almost like God coming through on that promise of, like, you asked to see my face. 
so long ago on that mountain. On this mountain, this is what I look like. Here's my son. I love that there's a conclusion to that story because of the one thing that's this thread throughout Scripture. David, in Psalm 27, 7, actually petitions more for grace and mercy after this Psalm 27, 4, where he says, there's one thing I desire, one thing that I seek. That's not even his petition yet. He's not even asking God to do something. He's like, God, give me your mercy and your grace and to shelter in your house, but he doesn't even ask about house in that verse. He actually goes in and asks, I want to be in the inner presence of your tabernacle, like the holy of holies, like give me enough grace and mercy to be welcome into your innermost sanctuary where no one that is unholy can go. I want to be able to be welcomed there, and he petitions for him. And then later, when Jesus is here, in Luke chapter 10, There's this really tense story between two sisters, between Martha and Mary. Jesus and his disciples are coming in to the house. They're going to eat. They're going to spend time. Jesus is going to tell stories, blow everyone's mind with this new covenant conversation that he's having. Martha's running around trying to make sure everything's taken care of, right? She's trying to do all the things to make it good for Jesus to be there. And Mary is just sitting at his feet. Martha is not happy. And so she actually one-offs with Jesus of like, hey, you see her? Like, can you help me get her to work? Because all this stuff needs to happen for you. And Jesus' response in Luke 10 is, Martha, Martha, all the things you're doing, inconsequential. There's one thing, and your sister has it. Everyone since the garden has been asking to seek my face and to see it. And you're so busy doing all the stuff on my behalf. And your sister is finally just looking at my face and going, Oh yeah, this is what we've been asking for the whole time. is to sit and see you. We can seek God and pursue the one thing that is looking for his face. And I say we can, because if you're anything like me, this past year has really messed you up. You're not sure what's okay anymore. Are we allowed to hope? Are we allowed to dream? Are we allowed to desire anything? If we start to desire something, will it just get shut down? Are we allowed to walk into a space and see other people's faces? Are we allowed to have conversations? Can we eat in public places? Can we dance? Can we sing? Can we celebrate FC Cincinnati? That's still hopeful. Someday. Are we allowed to be in stadiums? Are we allowed to be in streets? Are we allowed to be in cars together? All of this stuff feels full of angst. Are in a world where there's so much division and disparity around us and the past year has shown how wide that gap is in our cities and in our communities. Not only have we had this feeling of separation from our own small communities around us and our intimate communities, we've felt it as a whole as a society, right? We don't know if we get along very much at all anymore. Because when for a year you're sitting at home and the only place to look to see what other people think is social media, It's a real weird 
mentally taxing place to be. And we're starting to see some people that might have shared a table with us believe some things that are so significantly different that we're not sure that we would invite them to dinner again. We're, we're not sure if we're allowed to be together. We're not sure if we're allowed to believe. We're not sure if we're allowed to hope. And what I want to encourage you with with Psalm 27 today is that David does not have this pocket where he's exited tension or adversity. But instead, he almost writes every psalm that he has ever written or sung or spoken in the midst of adversity. If you read all of the psalms, David must have some serious personality issues. Because people always don't like him. Like, there's always an enemy. There's always an adversary. His own children tried to kill him. Kelly mentioned that last week. His former king tries to kill him. Bears and wolves try to kill him as a child. Like, he's always in this, like, tension of an adversary being around. And if you look at Psalm 27, it doesn't say desire God when there's an absence of tension. Like, listen to the words of it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, I will be confident. There's one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And he will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And this is where the actual song starts. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. I'm going to pause there. That is so misunderstood and mistranslated. He would say, like the actual Hebrew words here are more, even if my mother and father had forsaken me. Because we know David's mother and father didn't forsake him ever. We have no record of that. But in history, his imagination is, even if the people who love me most had forsaken me, even if, the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That entire psalm, I believe, can be defined by a petition to be proximate. There's a difference between being present and being proximate. We can be present in this church together anytime we want to. I can show up. I can check a box off. You can see me on the roll call. You can get an email saying, hey, thanks for joining us this Sunday. There's a difference in being present with God and being proximate to God. Proximate means to draw near. And in this psalm, 
David is petitioning to draw near to God. I don't just want to be present with you. I want to be proximate to you. Draw me near to you. I want to see your face up close. I want to be able to know what you smell like. I want to be able to have a conversation with you. I want to be in the most intimate part of your house. Show me where that room is, God, and make it so that I'm allowed to be there. I want to be proximate with you. I want to draw near to you. But what does a community of people and as a society, those who we haven't been allowed to be proximate to, much less present with in over a year, we have to like practice being present right now, right? We're not sure if I'm even allowed to sit in that row yet. It's hard to draw near to someone when I'm not sure whether or not I can be close to you or not. So I just want to give real quick takeaways on how we can be proximate to God and to one another. And the first one is just to claim in your own life that it is okay to desire again. It's okay to start dreaming as a family. It's okay to start dreaming as an individual. It's okay to write down hopes and adventures and places that you want to go again and things you want to eat and people that you want to have over. It's okay to start desiring again. It's okay to start desiring God again. In spite of all that's happened to you. It's okay. You can trust him. Because he's going to keep taking you through the problems that you faced. He's going to keep taking you through these journeys. Where the enemy or the adversary or the loss or the conflict or the pain or the hurt. They're not, they're not always going away. But it is okay to desire something from God in spite of all that you've experienced. Not because of it, but in spite of it. So one, it's okay to desire again. Just inviting you to say that to God. I desire you again. Try something. God, I want to see your face. It's okay to desire again. The second is that we can give ourselves permission. Not for justice. Not for vengeance. Not to give us back what we lost, but we can give ourselves permission to hold on, to hope, to long for, and to draw near. We can give ourselves permission to hold on. You can give yourself permission. Some of us in this room have been holding back, giving ourselves permission to hold on or to hope or to draw near. Because the last time that we tried to hold on, something let go. Something fell out. Something ended. Something ceased to be proximate to us. And we don't want to give ourselves permission because the last time that happened, it hurt. We also don't want to give ourselves permission because we don't know that it feels safe yet. I don't know what felt safety is going to look like as we move forward. But I know it starts with a desire to hope and giving yourself permission because no one is in charge of your body but you. No one is in charge of your mind but you. And so if you will give yourself permission, if I give myself permission to hold on and to hope and to draw near, then I can receive what a father wants to give me because he is my one desire. And last is that we would claim that God longs for us to seek the desire of our heart. He did not make a mistake when he made you. Did not make a mistake when he made me. And he longs for us to pursue the desire of our heart. 
What I say when I say that is that he's not here to change everything about you. He's here to speak your language. He's here to take you on your journey. And if we will just take these first steps, then we get to wake up every morning and we just get to do one thing. And this is the last lesson that my son continues to teach me because every morning when he wakes up and I say, hey, I'm going somewhere, he wakes up in the morning and looks at me and he was like, hey, pal, can I come? And part of it's the question, can I come? The other part of it is the fact that um, my grandpa, the one who stood at that flea market and looked at that hat, he called me pal. Every time I would come to his house, he would say, hey pal, I'm going to a flea market. And I would say, hey pal, can I come? Sometimes what God wants to give you back is the remnant of something that you thought you'd lost. My grandfather's been gone for a few years. The fact that I get to wake up every morning and be called pal by my son reminds me that this story isn't over. Things keep growing. And that God continues just to rewrite reminders that he can be the desire of our heart. What's the one thing that you desire? It's safe to desire it again. It's time to hope. And it's okay to invite God in because he wants to help with those desires. I'm going to pray. I think Kelly's going to close this out. Jesus, I pray this prayer over my own life that you would be the one thing that I seek and that I desire. That you would teach me what your beauty looks like and that I would be able to gaze upon it. And that I would be able to continue to meditate on the things that are of your way. And I pray that for us. That you would give us the courage today to desire you again. To hope for you again. To seek your face again. God, I pray that you would just show us your glory. It's in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Echo Church. If you ever want to join us in person, we're located in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. That's E-C-H-O church dot O-R-G. Have a great week.